When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 1969, who asked the US Postal Service to change the state abbreviation for Nebraska from NB to NE? The answer to that at the end of the show. My name's Tom Scott and this is Lateral. Welcome to this very special show, which has been voted the funniest ever episode of Lateral by the International Time Travellers Club. So, no pressure for our guests today. We start with mathematician and writer Hannah Fry. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. That was a really... I'm I'm annoyed that you made up that joke and I didn't. That was great. I'll be honest, I don't write most of these. Um, this, this is... Just a brilliant one that's coming from the producer. Sometimes they try and have me talk in a pirate accent. Sometimes they give me just long strings of alliteration. This one, be proud of this one. Do our team. You are you are their meat puppet, Tom. That's uh, oh. a. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that. You're I was, welcome. I was going to ask how it was first time on the show for you last time, but, but you know what? I've, I've just been called a meat puppet. I might just move on. How, how was your first appearance last time? It was good. I think, uh, you know, I think we worked well as a team. I think that um, we got some lateral stuff out there. We uh, basically we had fun and, and that's what it's really about. <laughs> also joining us, uh, Domino Artist extraordinary professional domino artist i don't know what how on earth do you describe someone who puts up dominoes and knocks them down for a living i don't know but lily havesh welcome back to the show thank you so much yeah and you can also just say domino builder or domino setter upper sometimes people say that (laughs) what's the biggest thing you've made with dominoes i feel like that's the obvious question everyone has to ask but like do you have solo stuff do you have team efforts how does it all work yeah actually earlier this year i was in the netherlands helping to set up 800,000 dominoes. And this took over 30 people in two weeks to set up. Gosh. Wow. How long did it take to knock down? I think it was around 20 minutes. But keep in mind, this is like considered the largest community domino build, like unofficial kind of world record. Not, Not Guinness, but like, you know, the team of people who just love dominoes. Well, thank you very much for returning. The third member of our panel today are quietly whispering, oh my gosh, in the background at a number of dominoes. Uh, Writer, YouTuber, Brian David Gilbert, welcome back to the show. Hello, hello. Happy to be back. Also happy that I am not a domino setter upper because I feel like that would be more stressful than like doing (laughs) surgery for me. My hands would be shaking the entire time. So yeah, I'm glad that that's not my profession. I, I feel like I'd want my surgeon to have steady hands, but you would you would really be more nervous doing that than than something like surgery. Hundred oh, percent. Some person who cares. Okay. If I'm letting down all of my friends who have been <laughs> setting up dominoes for two oh. weeks, that's a big deal. A person's life. <laughs> yep. Who cares? Whatever. It's not a big deal. But the uh, <laughs> the dominoes stressful. Uh, that's so interesting because people always tell me like, oh, Lily, you should be a surgeon with your steady hands. And I'm like, oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> not for me. Somewhere there's a sitcom double act here and I can't quite figure out where it sits. 
Good luck to all three of you. Our guests have to use enough foresight on these questions so that when they look back to where they've been, they walk into the right answer before they've even seen it. Got that? Good, because here comes question one. Tokyo Narita Airport has several signs written in both Japanese and English. One sign says three words of English, but a different message in Japanese. What are the messages? I'll say that again. Tokyo Narita Airport has several signs written in both Japanese and English. One sign says three words of English, but a different message in Japanese. What are the messages? Is it something to do with the cultural differences between people who might have English as their first language and uh, people who might be native Japanese? So, for example, um, in Japan, uh, eating or drinking in the street is considered extremely rude but uh or actually the shoe stuff as well taking your shoes off um is a, like a, there's a real cultural difference between western and, and and japanese sort of way of life so i wonder whether it's something about like just saying to people in english um don't be so rude <laughs> as, as a tourist in japan it is terrifying just and, uh-huh. and I was constantly worried that I was just going to commit some sort of social faux pas just just by absent-mindedly doing something mm-hmm. that would be normal in the UK. I did a, a filming trip in in Japan, and uh, we had a guy who we'd hired to come with us, and I was pretty sure by the end of it that his only job was to tell us what we were doing that was rude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I feel like it has to be something related to that. Yeah, I was thinking along those same lines, or even just like a translation difference like maybe there isn't an exact translation so it has to be something else you're vaguely along the right lines you're right that this only works in a place like japan where you generally only expect the locals to speak the local language okay but it's not so much an instruction it's not a warning there there is a message here that is aimed at everyone it's just different in the different languages the message is different Yep. One sign says three words of English, but a different message in Japanese. Mm. Man, I was just at that airport earlier this year. Mm. I should have looked a little closer. (laughs) And specifically, is it the airport? Yes. And is it to do with the airport? Yeah, you wouldn't really put this anywhere else. Mm. Do you think it's... In my head, I'm thinking it's like, what if there's a different style of soap dispenser in the bathroom and it's just for the english speakers it just says please don't worry and it's like it's supposed to act this way we promise like this is the thing that it's supposed to do and then in japanese it explains exactly what you're supposed to do with it but it but in english it's like nah don't don't tell anyone this is exactly how it's supposed to be or or the bum washers that they have in the toilets yeah yeah <laughs> I'm sure it's a technical term for those, and they're wonderful, and I want one for my own home. But the phrase is "please don't worry." Yeah, please don't yeah. worry. <laughs> the mood of what you're saying is correct. Hmm. It is definitely one targeted at Japanese folks, one targeted at everybody else. Maybe there's like a certain lounge for Japanese people, like they get the local lounge. Or if it's specifically in an airport, could it be to do with passports or visas, I wonder, where local people have a certain way of getting in and uh, foreigners have to go in a different queue? I think you were closer when the mood was, please don't worry. Oh. Okay. Funny. Okay. Why would people be worried? 
I'm not saying you're, that's right. It's not. It's not. Please don't worry. But the the mood is closer than an instruction or a command okay. or something like that. Okay. Okay. And it only works because Japanese is basically localized to the one country. Mm. This definitely wouldn't work in the UK. It definitely wouldn't work in the US. What as in the message wouldn't work? Just the the concept of this this pair of signs would not work. Would it work in Hungary? <laughs> I do not know enough about Hungary to answer that question. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a language that, that doesn't have roots uh, in any of its surrounding <laughs> <laughs> countries' languages. Is it like a historical message, like something from their culture that's like very old? In my- it's, it's really simple. This, this kind of message will be all over the world, in airports, in languages, everywhere. Like safe travels. Mm. I have a good trip. That sort of thing, yeah. Have a nice flight. Right, let's think of three word phrases that would make sense. Enjoy your flight. Enjoy your flight, yeah, that's good. Um, You're in the wrong bit of the airport. Oh, early on. Okay, okay. You're in departures there. Oh, so we're looking for arrivals. Welcome to Japan. Yeah. Welcome to Japan is the English phrase. (gasps) What's the translation of the other one? Oh. Um, don't worry about it. Or whatever we said before. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Welcome to Japan yeah. is the English phrase. In English, you nailed it. Word for word, big letter. Welcome home? Welcome back. Welcome uh... home is the Japanese phrase. Oh, Absolutely that's right. true. I like that. Okay. The translation is literally welcome back, uh, which I have written here as okarinasai. Apologies to Japan. So, yes, if you can read Japanese, it tells you welcome back. If you can read English, you're probably not coming yeah. back. And welcome to Japan still works if yeah. you if you're returning. Yeah. They have that in Ireland as well, you know. Um, really? Yeah, but in but in in Irish, which of course, even people in Ireland don't speak. <laughs> but- I mean, I, we will get complaints if you blanket statement that one. I think the Venn diagram of people who don't live in Ireland and people who speak Irish is. I mean, they're not. They're not. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, the sign in the arrivals says welcome to Japan in English and welcome back in Japanese. Brian, we will go to you for the next question yeah, whenever you're ready. Absolutely. This question has been sent in by Wes Potter. As a last minute favor, Jenny held a tall desk lamp for a photographer colleague. How did this immortalize her? It's a very quick question. Mm. As a last minute favor, Jenny held a tall desk lamp for a photographer colleague. How did this immortalize her? So is there a famous photograph of somebody holding a desk lamp? The only famous desk lamp I can think of is the Pixar one. Yeah. Is <laughs> the the one that bounces along and goes and mm. blocks But the there's eye. also that 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 actual that sort of that shape of desk lamp is also very famous. Angle poise. Yeah, angle poise, there you go. That's like a very, very famous design. Why am I thinking like, you know, in Harry Potter with the basilisk and like, if you look at it in the eye, then you like, you die, like something like that. Mm -hmm. But also like in Greek, like ancient mythical things, like if you look at Medusa, it's like, you're not, you just like become stone, something like that. It's a cursed angle poise lamp that turns whatever, (laughs) whatever is in its light to stone. You know, Bohemian Rhapsody, where they've got the photographs and their faces like, do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether the image that's really famous is you don't see a desk lamp in it at all. You just see like you just see something that's lit from above. 
if the photographer truly was like, oh, I didn't set up any lights for Queen, the very famous band, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that photographer would get fired pretty quickly. <laughs> okay, so in which case it's something that's more impromptu. But is it is it is that are we on the right lines there though of like making lighting a for a famous impromptu- photo of someone with a desk lamp? Is the desk lamp in the photo? That's uh, I will say I'll give you a hint and say that the desk lamp was intended to resemble something else. What? Wait, as in? So in in the wait, was it a desk lamp? It was a desk lamp they, that uh, Jenny held a desk lamp, but it was not intended to look like a desk lamp. In the final f- photo. In the photograph. Mm-hmm. Oh, so then it must be some sort of prop, like, I don't know, maybe like the sun or something else. I'm just thinking, like, what could it be if it's just like a bulb and maybe like a, a shield around it? Yeah, or unless it's inside something. Like, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> as in from afar, it looks like. Um, you know, a, a light shining out of something. Like, okay, so for example, you know, in Pulp Fiction, where they open the, um, they open the the suitcase briefcase. and then yeah, yeah, thank you, they open the briefcase and then um, the light shines out of it. I wonder whether it's like inside something. Photographer friend, mm. though, I feel like there's there's got to be a famous photograph that we're missing mm. here that is. <laughs> that somehow has a person holding a lamp in it that doesn't look like a person holding a lamp. You were you're you're on the right track there, Tom. In terms of Jenny was standing in to specifically to be a model for this uh, situation, right? And you will definitely know what this photograph is. I feel I feel I feel oh. like a hundred percent certain that you okay. all three of you have seen this photograph at some point in your life. Why do I feel like this is an album cover or a movie cover mm. or something like that? Getting the... warmer. Yeah, it's got to be something really iconic, like everyone's seen. Like pop culture. It's got to be a big pop culture thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about all the like industrial light and magic stuff where they made everyday objects look like ridiculous things. Like they've got a, a, a starship that's actually based out of some old 1950s construction set mm. Meccano Legos they've put together. Like, is there... Yeah, I think you're going a bit too far in terms of how this photograph, I would say, okay. was... a. I'll I'll say it's a reference, but the final photograph looks pretty dang similar to what uh, was going on with the original impromptu modeling. Okay, so this is some impromptu modeling, mm-hmm. just being like, "Hey, I want to try this thing. What about this?" And then the final photograph ends up being much more famous. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that I guess the the final photograph I would say the thing that you know is slightly more. Uh, stylized than a photograph, I guess, might be helpful to say. Or maybe I'm putting you in the t- complete wrong direction, but but it is still... So hold on. Oh. When when you say that we know this, that all mm. of us have seen it, yeah. have we seen the impromptu version or the final version? You've seen... You've definitely seen the final version. I know that. I'm pretty sure that's okay. the thing that you've seen. Um, and again, Tom, you were getting in the right direction when you were talking about movies. Oh, I'm going to... I'm going to kick myself. Because it, it's going to be really obvious in hindsight what this is. Is this like a Star Wars movie cover or poster or? It's not. I'll, no. I'll, the other hint I'll give you is that it's not for a specific movie, but for a franchise. Oh, oh, hold on. Um, if it's not for a specific movie, it's going to be one of the um, 
the the slates, the idents that studios use at the start. So, is it? Um, what's the studio that just has the I've woman holding a torch in the air? Universal. Not Universal, but Paramount. Is it Paramount? It. It's the other one. It's. I can it's, see it. I just 20th Century Fox. It's 20th Century Fox. Um, no, it's Columbia Pictures. It's is Columbia it? Pictures. It's oh. the woman holding the torch at the top of the Columbia Pictures thing. That's correct. It. She is yes. the torch lady from the Columbia <laughs> Pictures logo. Uh, and I, I love how all I... of you knew exactly what it was and then said every other studio name in existence before getting to it. Great branding there. Yeah. Just brilliant branding by Columbia. <laughs> yeah. I can literally see it in my mind. I'm like, what is it called? Yeah. It, what's I think really interesting about this from the notes is that uh, it was a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer, Kathy Anderson, who just uh, was tasked with taking the reference photograph for the Columbia Pictures logo. And then a model couldn't be found in time. So Anderson used uh, Jenny Joseph, who was working at the same newspaper office, just again, a random newspaper employee uh, and put her in a sheet and then held a desk lamp up. And now she will be in the final logo forever. That's so funny. Yeah. It became so famous. Who knew? Yeah. So then, so then, hold on. Let me understand. So the final photograph. It, it's drawn over to make the, oh, yes. the final image, right? That's it's a, it's a reference photo yeah. that they oh. then painted over to make the Statue of Liberty holding a torch up. Or is it, or is it just a woman holding a torch up? I think it's just a woman holding a torch just up. Just a woman holding a torch up. Yeah, in a sort of toga-ish thing again. That just was a bed sheet, I guess. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This next question was sent in by Mitchell Van Ham, Andy Johnson, Nathan H, and Bruno V. So I'm slightly worried that someone might know this, but good luck. In 1994, TSR released an advanced Dungeons and Dragons book called Encyclopedia Magica Volume 1. Why were readers confused by the frequent use of the words I Wizard and Da Wizard? I'll say that again. In 1994, TSR released an advanced Dungeons & Dragons book called Encyclopedia Magica, Volume 1. Why were readers confused by the frequent use of the words I Wizard and Da Wizard? What was the second one? Da Wizard? Da Wizard. D-A. D-A. Hannah is writing these down. I am. Brian just looks quite confused, but I think of the people here, I feel like... Why do I feel like Brian has the most D&D experience? Am mm. I just extrapolating from Dropout here, or am I just stereotyping you? I mean, you're doing both, but it's, uh, it is true. I, I think I probably <laughs> do know the most. But that being said, this came out the year I was born, so I am still... Uh, struggling a little Ouch. bit sorry about that <laughs> but uh the, the the thing there when you're saying eye wizard i do like the physical eye like you have or is it the like as if steve jobs invented this it's as if steve jobs invented this. <laughs> okay all right gotcha eye wizard which also is probably a good riff in itself <laughs> yeah okay well then i i was thinking the same thing i was like 
sounds like an Apple product. <laughs> yeah. It because it, here's the thing about I would say most like fantasy weird things in that era is that they were trying if they made like Dull Wizard because they thought like I don't know it sounded like an MC name from early hip hop. I I wouldn't put it past <laughs> them for them to try to make that like cool hip reference, but I I feel like that's not right. It's not, but I love the idea that at some point there was a Dungeons and Dragons source book that was inspired by early hip hop. I just feel like that's that's also feels like the kind of thing you'd ask ChatGPT for these days. Why were people confused? Was there like similar language in the game that sounded like I Wizard and Da Wizard? How much Dungeons and Dragons knowledge do you need to have to be able to answer this question, Tom? Absolutely not. Okay. Well, maybe okay, a tiny yeah. amount. You you would need to know what Dungeons and Dragons is and talks about. Okay, so there's dice in Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now we've reached the limit of my knowledge. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that it it takes a long time to play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even longer to try to organize groups. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I hear the people who are into D and D are like, they're like, that's your thing. It's like, mm-hmm. kind of like, I don't yeah. know. It's like a, it seems like a fandom almost. Definitely. I, which makes me think that, like, again, first off, Dungeons and Dragons uh, enjoyers tend to be very, very <laughs> intense about their rules, and so I can't imagine it being a rules issue that's confusing them. I can't imagine it's that that's the 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 breaking point. Um, but maybe okay. Is it, it does the d- does I and Duh stand for something? Is it like I is an introverted wizard and Duh is the district attorney wizard or something like that? And they have to figure <laughs> out how those could be combined. Like I, I maybe there's something there. They're just single words, lowercase. Okay. I wizard and the wizard. Tell us, tell us the bit about Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons that we need to know in order to be able to. <laughs> Honestly, I, I can't give much more without without giving it away. Mm. I would think more about the. I, I feel this is the sort of thing where writing the words down might help a little. Is it something to do with the way that you type it? Yes. So there was this quite oh. sweet thing about. Um, typos like so google trends of different typos and there was one that was really strange and it was uh, and people thought that it was um uh it, it, everywhere in the world had one word that was uh was, that was the same typo a google trend for it but france was different and then people realized it's because the e and the w in in the french keyboard or e and z have swapped over or something yeah they have azerty keyboards instead Azer- of QWERTY, yeah. I think. so i wonder whether um da I wonder whether it's a typo, but maybe typed in a different language. It's it's not a typo. It's not it's not a slip of the things like these. These words were all the way through the book. Deliberate. No, not really, uh, Brian. I think you may be able to help here with some some words that might come up when you're talking about D and D. Oh gosh. Uh, oh, they. I mean. No, I, I was originally going to be like, sometimes depending on like dice checks are called DCs and stuff like that. Like if there's another related word in dungeon, but but I feel like that's too much institutional knowledge of Dun- Dungeons and Dragons to to be. Yeah, you, you don't need you don't need that much. Okay, but you th- you're saying it is to do with the keyboard, not the keyboard, but word processing. Okay. This was an error that came in during production. Oh. Is it related to like people trying to look up wizard and then having to go to a different part of the 
book to like think no not quite mm. ryan talk, talk me through some uh some D D combat here let's let's just say i'm i'm rolling against something yes uh talk, talk me through a battle uh oh god i mean now now i'm gonna have my D D cred really questions here um so you're gonna be <laughs> basically when you're first uh fighting someone you have to check you you roll dice to see if it hits um and then you roll dice for the damage related to it. Uh, but I'm trying to well, mm -hmm. be... Damage wizard? Yeah. D-A? Mm, now you're very close, very quickly. Oh, oh. Damage wizard is almost the clue you need to unlock it. Damn, wizards! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> damage wizard. It was meant to be damage. What they got was the wizard. Oh, autocorrect! <laughs> Nearly. Like a oh. find and replace. Find and replace. So <gasps> oh. what changed? How did they end up with the wizard and I wizard? Oh my gosh. M A Oh Mage Mage Wizard. Magic. Image Wizard. It's Image Wizard and Damage Wizard. And those are okay. It was oh, originally okay. image and damage. And someone did a find and replace to change mage to it wizard. Oh and then they gosh. just did not proofread it any further. <laughs> and hang on, is there a mage? Does wow. mage mean something in Dungeons and Dragons? Well, I think that the that's I, that might be the issue is that th somebody wrote it as mage for the entire time. But in like, if you're talking about classes, I think they only had wizard class at that point. I don't believe mage was a class at that point. So, and I don't think it still but is. So, mage is it? Mage is a Dungeons and Dragons word. Uh, mage is another word for wizard. Oh, it's just oh. it's just a synonym for wizard. Oh, oh I so did not some... know that. No, I did not know that either. Oh, that's okay. That's why you two had some problems with that. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I had no excuse. Mage is a synonym for wizard. <laughs> yes. Okay, mage is a synonym for wizard. So the writer simply described mage all the way through, presumably because it sounded more magical or fantastical mm -hmm. than wizard. And someone went, "Oh, we'll just we'll just find and replace that back." And so throughout the book. They were talking about uh, not images, but e-wizards, and not points of damage, but points of the wizard. I, I just think it's amazing that in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, everyone knows mages. And then I'm like, oh no, I guess I am more nerdy than I think. Yeah. Everyone must know what a mage <laughs> I, I, is. Yeah, sorry. Surely. That one's on me as well. That's, that's <laughs> on me. Oh, no, 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 Brian. I... You cut me open and I bleed, nerd. It's just a different, <laughs> different, different <laughs> class of nerds. Yes, okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah, the next question's yours. Over to you. Okay. This question was sent in by Taryn. The cruise ship Oasis of the Seas is seventy-two meters tall above water. Denmark's Storbelt Bridge has a clearance of only sixty-five meters. What two solutions, one technological, one scientific, did it use to pass under this bridge safely? Let me do a video two again. The cruise ship Oasis of the Seas is 72 metres tall above water. Denmark's Storbelt Bridge has a clearance of only 65 metres. What two solutions, one technological and one scientific, did it use to pass under this bridge safely? I would quibble the word safely, frankly, but... Um. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that, because I immediately in my head I thought, okay, what they had to do is get everyone on the cruise ship to jump at the same time, so it pushed it down, and then they drove through really fast, and that was the way okay, that they got... Okay, for real, for real, you've basically got one already. Oh! <laughs> Wait, what? Okay. It's not okay. It's, it's not jumping up and down, but it is a way to get it to sink lower in the water. But, like, 
load it with as much stuff as possible. Like make it heavy, make it sink lower. Nope. You did actually say it, Brian. You did actually really? say the exact correct thing, really? but it's not about weight. Yeah. Oh, so it's like a buoyancy, like just, um, is there something about like ships going fast, pulling more draft? I remember reading something about that in like a navigation guide to mariners that like when your ship is going at speed, uh, the pressure, like the ground effect or whatever the, the equivalent of that is, sucks it down to the ground a little bit more because you have to be worried about that if you're in shallow water. <sighs> but if you are actually trying to get under a bridge, what you would do is put the hammer down, get the propeller going as fast as you can, and fast and furious it as much as you can on a cruise ship underneath this bridge. That is exactly right. The uh, do you want? Uh, the, I mean, that's the scientific solution. Yes, it's a technical. You're, one too. you're absolutely right. That's one half of it. Um, it's the hard one. I'll be honest, but okay. but you're exactly okay. right. It's uh, it, it, the only equation that anyone knows about aerodynamics is Bernoulli, which is that speed. And pressure are related, and if you increase speed, uh, you know you, you change pressure, and that that's exactly the effect that's going on as you described. So, 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 just smash it. Because ships just ground because yeah. of that. Like ships, ships are like yeah, we absolutely have clearance to get through this. Yeah, we've got a meter, two meter clearance, it's fine. And then they go a bit faster and get sucked down and, and ground on the rocks. That's why. okay. That's half of it. That's half of it. The hard half. The hard half. That was a great guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's also the scary half of it, right? Like, that's terrifying yeah, to right? be like, okay, we have mm -hmm. to go really, really quickly. Trust me, it's going to go below the, the bridge. I've seen footage, and this is this is not what this cruise ship did, but I've seen footage of somewhere in the, I think it's Florida. It feels like it should be Florida. It's somewhere on the Grand <laughs> Tour around the, the American waterways that boats do, where there is one low bridge that sailing ships can't get under unless they weigh down one side of their boat, tilt the whole thing over about 20 degrees, so they've got a little bit more room and the, the mass can just sneak under the bridge because it's going at an angle. This is not what the cruise ship is doing. I'm just saying after you finish listening to this, go and go and watch some some videos of them doing the the tilty under the bridge thing. The tilty under the bridge thing. The so <laughs> so the thing is is that you are on the right track in the sense that actually with the tilty under the bridge thing, it is about one key point that needs to get under the bridge. Uh, is it just the mass? Mm, mm, yeah, the, mm. the tallest point of it. So does the mass like go in like it shrinks down? You absolutely nailed it. I mean, you guys, you got that so quickly. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is wow. really hard. How is anyone going to get this? But no, but, <laughs> but no, I didn't, you know, this is the, the, the type of uh, people, the kind of people that we're talking about. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, essentially, it's the first time a cruise ship has ever had it. It's got a telescopic smokestack that can be retracted <gasps> down. Um, and also, because there is 20 meters of water between the keel and the bed of the, uh, of the, the, the strait, uh, what they do is they just, exactly as you say, Tom, just like smash it through. And if they do those two together, um, then they can manage to clear the, the, the bridge by 60 centimetres. This is what I mean about safely. That's not enough. Wow. That is not I, enough. I entirely agree. So, 70, so, so this thing is seven metres too tall and it makes, you know, almost eight metres by doing these two That's things together. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. That is also like, I assume that they have to make sure everyone is 
under the decks, right? Like, no, they, uh, I, that being said, I know that there's somebody who's out there, like, trying to smack the bridge as they go past, but. <laughs> right? <laughs> Everybody down. Yeah. No, absolutely not. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I want to hit not. it. So this, 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 uh, this ship, it was built in Finland, um, but uh, if it was ever to get to the USA, it needed to, cl- to clear this bridge. I mean, you would think maybe a bit more forward planning would have been useful, um, but it they does. They did. They built a telescope, <laughs> a telescope. That's, that's, that's forward planning, that is. <laughs> Give it a bit more than 60 centimeters my goodness but um yeah it's, they use the same technique when they're docking in new york city to to go under uh there's a bridge in in new york city they need to get under yeah oh wow so they, they tell their passengers that like they're like oh yeah surprise we just gotta like go they're gonna be out bridge. on deck celebrating it you know yeah. they are just yeah. just you know cruise ship version of limbo isn't it mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> Thank you to Michael Teasdale for this next question, and it's a sports one. Good luck. Near the end of the final game of the Atlanta Falcons' 1972 season, the clock was stopped so that running back Dave Hampton could be presented with a game ball by his team. When the game ended, this ceremony had become ironically painful. Why? I'll say that again. Near the end of the final game of the Atlanta Falcons' 1972 season, the clock was stopped so that running back Dave Hampton could be presented with a game ball by his team. When the game ended, this ceremony had become ironically painful. Why? Did they accidentally give him the ball that was being used in the game rather than a special game ball? <laughs> uh, no, he, the ceremony went off exactly as planned. Okay. Right, what, what sport's this? Uh, it's American football. I'm guessing the ball was used in the game, and I'm guessing that this guy was retiring or something. Like, it must have been his last game, and they were like, here, have the game ball for whatever. Or And then, yeah, I, I feel like that it has to be that kind of ceremonial thing, or else no one would be cool with them stopping gameplay <laughs> for the middle of it. It wasn't a retirement ceremony. Okay. Uh, it was more of a celebration. But yes, this was prearranged that, yeah, we're going to stop the clock for a little while and let this this celebration happen. Okay. You you have done a thing. Here is the ball you did the thing with. Okay. You have done a thing. Was someone getting married? Like, did somebody propose in the middle of the game they had to stop the clock? <laughs> is the thing that they did relevant? Yes. Okay. You have done a thing, and okay. here is the ball you did the thing with. So I'm not obviously uh, that well-versed in American football, but I know enough about how the game is played to make me think that it was, if he's a running back, it makes me think that like he did an incredibly long run in order to get a touchdown. So he went like, you know, 60 yards or whatever to get that. And they gave him the game ball for doing it. And which makes me think that right after that happened, somebody ran 70 yards or something like that. You are along the right lines and you've given our other two players all the key information they need to know on what running backs do. Okay. But this was a pre-planned celebration. They knew it was probably going to happen during this game. Okay. Oh, did he get a certain number of touchdowns or a certain number of sports uh, Brian fill in, fill in <laughs> okay. the rest of that yes. sentence yes. <laughs> no, so they, he must have like broken a record for touchdowns uh, um, or like receptions right like he caught the ball more than anyone else has uh, really I, I would say that I have a very cursory knowledge and the way that I'm speaking about <laughs> this is really making that clear I think to everyone you actually said the words earlier was it receptions or yards run or yards run yards run okay. oh did he run a certain number oh. of yards 1000 over the season that's not that many yards is it 
for, <laughs> for an American football season, that's that's a lot for a running back. <laughs> they yeah. do that in like 45 minutes in a football game. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so was that like a new record and then you got like the game ball for that? Like It was an achievement. They knew this guy's going to hit a thousand yards in the season, probably in this game. Other team, are you okay with us doing the, the ceremonial thing and like, here's the ball you did this with? So yeah, like you've worked out the ceremony. I don't feel too bad yeah. about like just giving you that one. Yeah. Like that's, that's what happened. So then I Why? like Brian's idea of somebody else beating him in the same game. Yeah. It's either somebody beat him in the same game or like the more morbid answer is that he like broke his leg immediately afterward. Like that's the other thought I can have for that being ironic. It, I mean, the the pain here is is emotional, I think, rather than physical. Okay, okay. I'll tell you it's the last game of the season. Did they lose the big cup? <laughs> oh, was he was he like retiring or something? Maybe that was his actual last game. So it was emotional because he couldn't play anymore afterward. Uh, it, possibly, but that wouldn't be ironically painful. So ironically painful yep. implies that he can't run anymore. <laughs> okay, it's not that ironic. Um, there's something else that can happen to a running back. Right. They can get... Oh, did he, like, fumble or something? Or got an interception based on him where he was supposed to catch it and then somebody else got it? Oh, that wouldn't be ironic for the running, I think. Maybe he got tackled and he wasn't... Or he... Hmm. I, okay, here is where maybe my knowledge of uh, of football might be helpful. But what happened is that he was he he made the 1,000 yards, okay? He made the full 1,000 yards and they did it exactly when he hit 1,000 yards. The next session, somebody tackled him and pushed him back two yards, which took him back to 998 or something like that. It was a six-yard loss. He ended the game and the season on 995 yards, oh my God, despite that's the ceremony. Oh, Incredible. Wow. Incredible. Uh, his, quote, his quote was, right now, it's the most disappointing thing that has ever happened to me. Wow. It's crushing. <laughs> that's, that's so sad. That's embarrassing. The following season... 997 yards. Oh, brutal. It Oof. was the one after that when he got a thousand and he retired at the end of yeah. that year. You would, wouldn't you? You <laughs> would. You would. It's yeah. a white whale, for sure. Hey, um, Tom, I'm loving these questions on Dungeons and Dragons and American football, but next time I come on, can we do one on differential calculus? <laughs> All right, well, let's see if there are any questions about differential calculus in the show. Lily, over to you. Uh, so this one was sent in by Hans Bartel. In 1912, Theodore Roosevelt decided to rerun for president. Three million pamphlets were printed, featuring his photo and a speech. However, his team leader noticed the photo had a copyright note. How did they turn the situation around? I'll read that one more time. In 1912, Theodore Roosevelt decided to rerun for president. Three million pamphlets were printed, featuring his photo and a speech. However, his team later noticed that the photo had a copyright note. How did they turn the situation around? So is it, it was printed on the photograph, a little thing saying copyright. Is that what am I imagining the right thing? Yeah, the, the photo did have a copyright note on it. And there were thousands of pamphlets, so you can't just cross them out. No, you cannot. Did, uh, did uh, he go and get a running mate called copyright? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Is the problem that the photo 
like has a watermark on it, or is the problem is that the photo is copyrighted and they just can't use it? They printed three million of these, and actually, it turns out they don't have permission to use the photo. Yeah. So basically, the on the back of the photo, someone noticed that there was a copyright notice, but they didn't see that on the front of it. Okay. So they've got three million pamphlets that, if they distribute, they're violating copyright, and someone's going to sue them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the, this was Teddy Roosevelt rerunning, right? For office, this was his second. Yes, so he's already president. So did he yeah. just change copyright laws? <laughs> did, did he just shift <laughs> the copyright laws and be like, actually, no, we've decided that this is cool? Was that how it worked? <laughs> I don't care. As long as we win, I will pardon everyone involved for copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> No. Oh, it's a civil tort. Uh, it wouldn't be able to yeah. do that. Never mind. If only he had the jurisdiction to do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So is it? So somebody would have owned that copyright. Uh, yes. So somebody would be the person who would they would be worried about suing them. Did they he just killed him? He said, yes. Did he have him killed? <laughs> <laughs> also, the answer to this is you license the photo from him. Like you just pay the guy some money, but. You're on the right line. With the killing? Tom, what you just said is sort of on the right line. With the killing or the the money thing? The the money thing. It's going to be a really boring question if the answer is they licensed the photograph. So you're on the right lines, Tom. Uh, Basically, the licensing cost for the photo was estimated at $1 per copy. But the campaign team found that the studio um, that took the photo they were, they were not very notable. Like, nobody had really heard of them before. So then, if they didn't know, could they, like, turn to just do a collab? <laughs> <laughs> do a nice little influencer. Guys. Uh, yeah. This will bring a lot of it, a lo- oh. uh, eyes to your whole deal. Guys, this is just, it's, uh, it's a bunch of exposure for you. You're going to love it. Mm-hmm. Hold on. There's that line in Inception where uh, the rich guy goes, I bought the airline, it seemed neater. And I feel like if you, if rather than pay like $3 million to license this photo, you just buy the little studio nice. that owns the yeah. copyright and you just take over the entire company and you let them forgive them. So one of two things that you just said is correct. Which one? Which one do you think it is? It's either buying the company or being an influencer. All right, well, I said buying the company. I'm going to stick with it. Buying the company. Yeah, I, I I switch. I'm I'm flaky as, as anything. I stick with influencer, but I think it's just somebody married someone in the company and then became uh, the proprietor of. <laughs> I think it was a marriage situation, that kind of collab. Yeah. So basically, because the studio was so you know not popular, they basically turned to them and said, "Oh, this would be great exposure for you." So they asked the photographer to pay for the publicity. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I feel that's like these just... tricks are carrying on right now. Yes. <laughs> that's not even we'll pay you we'll pay you an exposure. You'll pay us for the exposure. I... That's incredible. That is the gall. Yeah. The fact that they said yes to that, I'm like, what? They said um, yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. That's amazing. amazing. It was $250, in fact. For, for a reverse license. That's amazing. Yep. And then at the end of it, he didn't even win the election. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Very last thing then. Thank you to Jason Roberts for sending this question in. In 1969, who asked the US Postal Service to change the state abbreviation for Nebraska from NB to NE? Is it someone whose uh, initials are NB? It very much is someone whose initials, well, somewhere whose initials are NB. Would we know this person? 
Uh, you would know the place. Oh, a place that's got the initials MB. Oh. You'd probably know the place. New Brunswick. New Brunswick in Canada <gasps> is very close to Nebraska. And the post was going the wrong way because everyone just wrote NB. The Postal Administration of Canada asked the US Postal Service, can you make it any instead? That's great. That makes sense. With that, thank you very much to our players. Congratulations on running the gauntlet. Let's find out where can people find you. And in the months between this recording and the episode going out what have you been up to uh we will start with brian yeah uh you could find me on youtube if you just search up brian david gilbert i've also been doing a lot more stuff with dropout recently uh and yeah you could just f- find me around there H- hire me to write your tv shows all those things you know <laughs> if there are any tv commissioners listening talk to brian he's good yeah reach out Hannah, what's up with you? I'm actually prime minister now. Um, <laughs> it's been a it's been a, 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 a extremely busy few months, and uh, yeah, I'm on on track for my plans for world domination. So um, yeah, where can people find you other than Ten Downing Street? <laughs> uh, you know, just search me. <laughs> I'm on I'm Fry R Squared on social media, but I have shows on Bloomberg and BBC and podcasts and blah 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 blah. And Lily. You can find me on mostly YouTube. Just search Hevish5, or you could just search Dominoes. You'll probably find me. But uh, I'm working on, you know, making new Dominoes. We just came out with a new Disney set. So very excited to get that out and, you know, just get more people into building. And if you want to know more about this show, you can do that at lateralcast.com, where you can send in your own ideas for questions. We are at lateralcast pretty much everywhere, and there are weekly video highlights at youtube.com slash lateralcast. With that, thank you very much to Lily Habesh. Thank you so much. Hannah Fry. Yay. Thank you. And Brian David Gilbert. It's been a pleasure. I've been Tom Scott, and that's been Lateral. <laughs>